Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm Brad Alexander, your host and resident beggar who found bread, slaving away to let others know where I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua. This episode, Master and Slave. It's a throwback to Kiss on the title of this one. Master and Slave is off of their 1997 Carnival of Souls, The Final Sessions album. And that album was, in fact, the final sessions for guitarist Bruce Kulik and drummer Eric Singer with the band. They would return to their on-again, off-again original lineup of Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Frehley on guitar, and Peter Chris on the drums. I think that probably one of the most disappointing and underwhelming moments in the history of KISS was when they first removed their makeup. There was all this buildup and hype, and I don't know what I was expecting as a kid, but man, when they finally revealed their faces, I was like, wow, that's it? They look better with the masks on. They should cover their faces again. I think it'd be better for everyone involved. Anyway, it's not about the music. It's about the message. So let's labor on, master and slave. In Luke 17, we read what I think is the least preached and taught parable of Yeshua. So I want to take a look at it. Uh, We'll start actually in verse 3 to give us some context of the parable. We'll back up a little bit. Yeshua is speaking, beginning in Luke 17, verse 3. Keep yourselves alert. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times a day and seven times returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Then the emissary said to the Lord, increase our faith. Then the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. But if you have a slave who is plowing or tending sheep, Who among you will say to him when he comes in from the field, come right in and recline at the table. But won't he instead say to him, prepare something for me to eat, dress yourself and wait on me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. He doesn't thank the slave because he did what he was commanded, does he? So you too, when you've done everything you are commanded, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only what we were supposed to do. So first, though I think many do understand this, it's, it's important that we grasp what a slave was in Israel's culture and history. Because oftentimes when the word slave is spoken and thrown about, most people instantly consider the brutal, degrading slavery of Africans in American and European history. And so there's a difficult time reconciling Messiah condoning such a relationship. Understandably so, because he never did. I believe to our Western understanding, the word servant is probably more applicable. What we see through scripture is a servant-master relationship akin to indentured servitude. Someone owed a great debt, lost their means of income, they could or would become a servant to whom they were indebted. But Adonai very specifically spells out the treatment of these servants, their provision, their care, and their dignity. So lots of people will pull scriptures out of context and question a God who would support or encourage slavery. 
And again, by the standard of the deplorable way slaves were treated in early American and European history, that makes sense. But that's not what the scriptures talk about. That is not what God endorsed or condoned. And I also recognize that many European and American slave owners had used the Bible to justify their enslavement of men, women, and children from Africa and the way they treated them, just compounding the vile atrocity they were committing and completely abusing the word of Adonai. So that might be some of the reason this parable is conveniently overlooked, but I think that there's actually a greater influence Proper application of the term regarding the people of Adonai was, it was most often a voluntary act by individuals seeking refuge from their poverty. They were to be treated as complete members of the community. And when their servitude was complete, they could leave and the master they served did not send them away empty-handed. There are provisions in the Torah for how all of this works. So let's go back again and we'll take another look at this parable, which starts in verse 7 of Luke 17. Messiah speaking. But if you have a slave who is plowing or tending sheep, who among you will say to him when he comes in from the field, come right in and recline at the table. But won't he instead say to him, prepare something for me to eat? Dress yourself and wait on me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He doesn't thank the slave because he did what he was commanded, does he? So you too, when you've done everything you are commanded, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only what we were supposed to do. Messiah, Yeshua, is telling us, his followers, at the end of the day, when we've done everything we are commanded... We are to say, we are unworthy slaves. We've done only what we were supposed to do. Now, this doesn't fit well with the narrative of many popular preachers. Let's take a deeper look at this, because the Apostle Paul writes of this also in uh, his letter to the church at Rome. He also mentions it in other places as well. But in Romans 6, starting in verse 16, we read, Do you not know... That to whatever you yield yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to what you obey, whether to sin resulting in death or to obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching under which you were placed. And after you were set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness." Paul breaks it down. We are slaves to what we obey. Our actions, our behaviors, how we live our lives determines who is our master, revealing to whom we are enslaved. We are either slaves of sin or righteousness. There is no middle ground. He goes on in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So then what outcome did you have that you are now ashamed of. For the end of those things is death. 
But now, having been set free from sin and having become enslaved to God, you have your fruit resulting in holiness. And the outcome is eternal life. For sin's payment is death, but God's gracious gift is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. When we were sin slaves, the end result is death. Those who have become enslaved to God have fruit resulting in holiness, his gift, eternal life. Our actions, our works and deeds, the fruit of holiness expose who we serve. This passage actually also brings to context the oft quoted Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Messiah Yeshua. I have never heard an altar call where this is explained in the light of servitude or enslavement to Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God, as is the context of it. In Exodus 21, we read that there comes a time when uh, the servant has completed his servitude. He can be set free. But if he loves his master and wants to continue serving, he can do so willingly. The master would take an awl, A-W-L, kind of a pointy nail, and pierce the slave's ear, driving that, driving that awl through his ear into a piece of wood to reveal that mark. And I assume the ring that would be put in there would reveal that they had chosen to serve their master a bond servant. They decided to bond themselves to their master and willingly serve because they loved the master. They loved the way they were treated. And so they willingly chose to be a bond servant. That is a picture of our relationship with Adonai through Yeshua, bond servants or bond slaves. So what this means is, just as is stated in Exodus 21.5, if the servant loves the master he or she can submit his or herself to continue a life of serving that master motivated by love. D.T. Lancaster says this parable reveals we are slaves of Hashem and that when a slave serves a master, it's not something magnificent or magnanimous, the works that they complete, the serv- that the, what the servant is doing. The servant is doing his required tasks or duties. Lancaster continues and states that our service to Adonai should be motivated out of love and fidelity, faithfulness to him, not the desire for rewards and blessings. And this is contrary to the teachings of many modern preachers who say that we should be reward-minded, focused on the blessing and even the monetary rewards. That is a detestable doctrine, and it is a perversion of the scriptures. The Psalms repeatedly speak of seeking God's face. So a teaching to seek his hand of blessing is not biblical. Even as Yeshua stated, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the needs of our lives will be met by God. But we seek him, we seek his face, not the gifts and blessings. Serve him not for a reward, but simply because we love him. We read in this parable that when the slave comes in from working in the field, the master doesn't say, hey, sit down, take a load off. Let me get you something to eat. No. After serving in the field, the master tells the slave, prepare me something to eat. Dress yourself and wait on me while I eat and drink. Verse 
and afterward you may eat and drink. The relationship is still spelled out there, servant and master. And in verse 9, he, the, the master doesn't thank the slave because he did what he was commanded, does he? No, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. When we do what we've been commanded, there's no call for a celebration. We are doing our job. There have been times in my various careers as a manager when I've had employees come to me and kind of proudly declare that they've accomplished some task, a big grin on their faces, expecting a high five or a fist bump. And there have been times on occasion where I just look back at them stoically and say, so you did your job. Cool. Not the response they expected. And oftentimes they would walk away feeling a little bit dejected. I had one salesperson actually who frequently found himself being written up for negative behaviors, bad stuff. And uh, he said to me this one time, you know, I keep getting written up for all this bad stuff. There should be some kind of write up for doing good things. And I said, oh, there is. Every two weeks. It's called your paycheck. He was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. (laughs) Yeshua told us not to do our acts of righteousness, serving Adonai for public praise and the accolades of men. But when we truly serve him from our love for him, people will see those works and glorify God for what we've done, not giving us the glory. God is our master and our, our serving him is the duty of our love for him. When we successfully complete a day in the harvest field, our service to him continues. We don't finish it and then sit down and say, okay, God, I've been serving you all day. How about you serve me up something to eat? Serve me up something nice. No, that's not how it works. Rabbi Yechiel Lichtenstein shared, when we have done all we have been commanded in Yeshua's Sermon on the Mount and similar passages, when our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we have nothing about which to be proud. We are not doing anything of which we can be proud. It is God who works in us to do his will, and we are following orders. We are doing as we are told. We are completing our required duties, obeying Torah. We are sheep obeying the voice of our shepherd. Yes, we serve from a heart of loving Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And it is still fulfilling the commands of our master. We do so in love by faith. The reference to coming in from the field, then preparing a meal, dressing properly, and waiting on the master is to show us, I believe, that there is still more work to be done. Our chosen enslavement to Adonai is not complete, not while there is still breath in our lungs. There's no intermission or off-season working for our master. In everything we do, in word and deed, we are to do all to the glory of Adonai. But no, Brad, I'm not a slave to God. I'm a child of God, born again, adopted into the family. Yes. So certainly we can point to many scriptures that say this, and I often quote them. I love them, and I believe them to be true. We have to keep in mind, in the Hebraic culture, things are either incomplete or complete. They are either imperfect or perfect. 
as we read in many of the prophecies, for example, Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. He did not say a child will be born or a son will be given, but that he is born and he is given. Though at that time, Yeshua had not yet been born or given. Isaiah speaks of the complete, the perfect in God, because though it had not happened when he spoke those words at that time, it still was done, a foregone conclusion. So it is stated in the present tense. And remember, God is the ever-present one. I am. So in these declarations of us being God's children, I believe the same is true. We can refer to ourselves as the children of God because he will complete the work he has begun in us. In the here and now, we are servants as our adoption is not yet complete. Look at Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will, also, will be set free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers birth pains until now, and not only the creation, but even ourselves, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Ruach, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption, the redemption of our body. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit are eagerly waiting for our adoption, the completed work of God. We can call ourselves children of God because Adonai is I am. He is the ever-present one, and he is faithful to complete his work. Though in time, in the here and now, where we leave, where we live, it has not yet been finished. Thus, we are servants of the Lord. And yes, in John 15, 15, Yeshua said he no longer calls us servants, but he now calls us friends. This is not a contradiction of us being servants of Adonai. It's rather a clarification of the relationship. Our master chose us to serve him out of his love for us. The loving, serving relationship does not just go one way as it does in the natural master servant. Remember, Yeshua said, we call him master, and it is true. He then shows us how he serves us in the washing of the disciples' feet. He serves. This relationship goes both ways. It's not just us loving him, it is him loving us. And in our relationship, our enslavement or bond servitude, Adonai did not pierce our ear with an awl against a piece of wood. No, Adonai pierced the flesh of his son against the wood of a torture stake, a crucifix. Having done that, how can we who call ourselves his choose to serve any other? Particularly, how could we choose to serve sin, transgressing his law and commands? We are the slave of whom we serve, a slave to obedience of righteousness. Let us serve our master, motivated by love. May we also 
keep in mind that those who openly, willingly sin, they are enslaved by the chains of sin. They need to be set free as we have been set free from slavery to sin to become enslaved to God. Adonai has paid the price for the emancipation of all. His emancipation proclamation is his word signed in the blood of Messiah Yeshua. So let's go out and faithfully serve our master. Let's go out and give him heaven.